okay? Uh, well, one thing that you might not know about me uh, is that I love practical jokes. I love practical jokes. I think uh, a good practical joke done well is just one of the greatest sources of humor. Uh, and, and a good prank done well is just great. Uh, I'm not going to admit to any of the pranks that I have done, uh, especially in my camp days, because there are still several that uh, no one knows who has committed those pranks, and so I won't take ownership of them. But I think a well-executed prank or practical joke is just a good source of humor. And I read about a wonderful prank played by a famous pay, uh, playwright named Noel Coward in uh, 1899. He was born in England, Noel Coward. And supposedly he was something of a prankster. He loved pranks and he likes practical jokes and, and he thought that they were quite fun. And so one day what he did was he sent 20 identical notes, 20 notes, all handwritten, 20 identical notes to 20 of the most famous men in London. So 20 identical notes to 20 of the most famous men in London. The note was anonymous. He didn't sign it. And all that it said was, everyone has found out what you're doing. And if I were you, I would get out of town. That's all it said. Everyone has found out what you're doing. And if I were you, I would get out of town. Now, rumor has it that all 20 men actually left town. Now, see, the reason they left town is because it, supposedly they must have all had something they were hiding. There's something that they had hidden or that they were keeping from everyone that they didn't want everyone to find out about. They were guilty of something that now it, supposedly everyone knew. And so they all left town. Now, I was left wondering, what would you do if you got that note? If you got that note, you went to your mailbox one day, you open up your mailbox, and there's a handwritten anonymous note, and it just says, we know what you're doing, and if I were you, I would leave town. What would race through your head? What kinds of thoughts would be going through? What would, what would you be thinking of and flying around thinking, what have they discovered? Or perhaps you know exactly, oh my goodness, they have discovered this thing I've been keeping hidden. Or what if you got a letter, something like that, from the board of deacons or the pastor of your church? And all it said was, we know what you have been doing in secret, and so we'd like to meet and talk about it. Imagine you got that letter in your church mailbox from one of your deacons or from the pastor. What would you be feeling? Would there be anxiety or fear that was inside of you? Would you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach when your stomach drops and you think, oh no, I've been discovered? Perhaps we found out your, or we found your income tax report and we know what you really reported versus we know what you actually made. Or perhaps uh, the church had seen you at a place that you shouldn't have been frequenting and we had seen you coming and going. Or perhaps even worse, the church had somehow gotten a hold of your browser internet search history and we wanted to talk about the pages that you've been visiting, visiting on the website. I know for some people, some of those might be terrifying. I know for a lot of people my age and especially around the internet generation, I know that last one of someone getting a hold of your browser history might be especially terrifying. Because see, that would invoke that feeling of guilt in us. We would feel that feeling of guilt, the one that weighs heavy in your stomach. And guilt is, is scary. Guilt is terrifying. And a lot of us feel a little bit guilty all the time. A lot of us feel a little bit guilty all the time, every day of our life. But what is guilt? Why, why do we feel that way? Guilt is such an ugly word. Immediately if someone says you are guilty or you hear the word guilty, we get that kind of feeling in our stomachs. And it's likely because we all understand the word guilt. We all understand what it means to be guilty. And automatically it's one of those words that we tend to apply to ourselves. When we hear the word guilt, we tend to apply it to our own lives immediately. Because we're all guilty of something. 
There's something that we are all guilty of. Perhaps we're guilty of things like just simply bad thoughts about others. Perhaps we're very guilty of gossip about others. Perhaps we're guilty of hurtful comments towards people behind their backs. Perhaps we're guilty about lying about others or lying about a situation or lying about ourselves even. More than those things, even though we're just simply guilty of sinning all the time against God, we're constantly guilty of sin. God set a standard, and he said, this is what I would like you to live up to, and he gave us expectations, and it says all have fallen short. No one here today can say that they don't sin or that they've never sinned, because the Bible says we've all sinned. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And there's no asterisk beside that says in the original Greek, except it says, except pastor, you know, so-and-so, right? It doesn't say that. It says all. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That means everyone. It means me. It means you. It means your deacon's board. And it even means your dear old granny. Even dear old granny, she too sinned. We have all sinned. And because of that, we all stand in constant need of God's grace. We stand in constant need of his mercy and his forgiveness. Uh, Irma Bombeck says, I figured out a long time ago that guilt was like mothers. Everyone in the world has had at least one. Everyone in the world. So if we've all sinned and we all fall short and we've all felt guilt, then we need to know then what do we do with guilt? What do we do with that feeling? We need to know how do we handle our guilt. And so today we're going to look at a very famous king in the Bible and how he dealt with his guilt. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 32, and we're going to look at the whole chapter as a passage, but primarily we're going to really focus on Psalm 32, uh, verse 5. And so the first thing we need to do is, is we need to answer the question of what is guilt? What is it? Why do we feel guilty? What is it? Guilt is something that we feel usually over something that has happened in the past. We feel guilt over something in the past. It's this sense of dread or anxiety or fear inside of us over something that we have done wrong. Perhaps an action that we have done wrong or an action that we failed to do entirely. Right? If, my, if my wife asks me to do the dishes and I don't do them and then later on she is doing them, I might feel guilty over something that I just simply didn't do. I didn't do something. And so we feel guilty over something we have done or perhaps something that we just have not done. Oftentimes, the guilt that we have is something that happened many years ago. Many years into our past, we feel guilty of this thing. People might feel a sense of guilt over some sin that was committed many years prior, but that sense of guilt never leaves them. That feeling of dread never leaves them. It constantly eats away inside of us. It eats away at your sense of happiness, at your ability to enjoy life, their ability to be close to God and to be intimate with God. Your ability to spend time with him is affected by this sense of guilt that you carry with you for years. People live with this awful fear that someone will uncover the deeds of their past, that someone will uncover the sins in their past, and that guilt, that sense of dread, it cripples them. It grasps them. It doesn't let them go. So they build up walls around that thing that ever happened. They try to erect things, ways of their life that no one could ever uncover that sin from their past. They hope no one will ever find it out, and they try to bury it away in a closet. And what we end up doing is we close off a portion of our lives. We close off a portion of ourselves. So every part of us, our relationships with others and with God, it's affected because we're living closed off. Guilt is actually one of the most crippling things. It's one of the most crippling emotions that you can feel. Some psychiatrists and doctors, they actually will believe that unresolved guilt over actions or inactions in your past is the number one cause of suicide. 
and it's the number one cause of mental illness. There are doctors out there that that's what they would say is the number one cause of suicide is guilt over something, an action or inaction that was done in the past. There's a psychologist in the States, his name is uh, Roy, Roy Bomeister, and he studied guilt. He studied guilt for a few years, and he said on average, people spend about two hours a day simply feeling guilty. It's two hours a day, our minds are occupied with, with this thing, this feeling of guilt over something that has happened. Two hours every single day, just feeling guilty. And so we spend hours a day, we spend hours every single week, and we spend these things simply feeling guilty. We feel guilty. And we might even feel about this guilt, we might feel that there is nothing we can do about it. We might feel there's nothing I can do about this guilt. I'm always going to carry this guilt with me. But I'm going to ask, is there? Is there truly nothing we can do about guilt that we carry with us? Or is there some way that we can deal with this guilt and get rid of it? Well, see, I don't believe that there's nothing we can do. I believe that there is something we can do about guilt. And so what do we do about guilt? Or what do we do with guilt? I think if we look at Psalm 32, verse 5, we're going to look at this together. We're going to see a man who felt very guilty. And we're going to see a man who was indeed very guilty and had every reason to feel guilty. And we're going to see how this man dealt with his guilt. So this is King David uh, who wrote this. This is David. Uh, and of all people, if we know the life story of David, we know that David had reason to feel guilty over some things that he had done in his past. I mean, he was a murderer, right? He sent someone off to be murdered. He was an adulterer. And some scholars would actually say that David was actually a rapist for what he had done in his life. So he was all of these things. And that's some heavy things to carry with you and to feel that guilt over. And see, some scholars believe that Psalm 32 was written after he had finally cried out to God and laid all of these things, all of these feelings of guilt over what he'd done. After he laid it all at God, he finally wrote this psalm. And so some people believe this is written right after it. Actually, later in Psalm 38 even, he says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. So this is, this is the guilt that David was feeling. Later on, he says that my guilt was so bad, it was overwhelming me. I couldn't carry this burden. And right, so in Psalm 32, verse 5, we see how he deals with it. Um, author and pastor Rick Azell gives us a breakdown of Psalm 32, especially verse 5. And he says these are what he believes are the steps to dealing with guilt or the steps to handling guilt. And so we're going to look at what the steps are for dealing with our guilt. So the first thing we see in verse 5 is we see the thing we need to do first is admit our guilt. We need to admit our guilt. How many politicians, businessmen, actors, and even pastors have we witnessed fall from grace? I mean, in each of our lives, I can say that we have probably witnessed countless politicians, actors, businessmen, and pastors fall from this state of glory. Most recently, a very famous Christian comedian named John B. Christ, he, he had a huge fall. He had a great following. He had lots of uh, influence in the, in the community and in the comedy realm, and he was a great market for, or he was a great beacon for Christianity, or so it seemed, until all of his sin was uncovered. And all this thing that he had been hiding for years, and then he had this huge fall from grace. And usually when that happens, when the great sin of a politician or a pastor or a business owner or a CEO or whoever it is, when that sin is uncovered, how do we usually react first? Well, we usually deny it. We usually say, no, no, it's not true. 
right? We want to deny it. We want to say, uh, no, 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 I'm not guilty of this thing. You never hear of a politician whose thing is outed and the first thing he says, yeah, yeah, no, that was me, that was me, I, I did that. There's actually a lot more too. Here's all the other things that I've been keeping hidden. We never see that. We see a denial of the guilt first. But see, that's the opposite of what we're supposed to do. In verse 5, it says, and then I acknowledged my sin to you. I acknowledged my sin. I admitted my sin. He admitted that he was guilty. He admitted what he had done. He admitted or confessed or, sorry, just admitted his, uh, his sin. Andy Stanley says, he says, as long as you are carrying a secret, as long as you are trying to ease your conscience, you're setting yourself up to repeat the past. So as long as you carry the secret, as long as you are going about not admitting it, you're just simply setting yourself up to repeat that thing over and over and over. The first step on the road to recovery for many things or many struggles in life is simply admitting what is going on in our lives, admitting what we are struggling with. Uh, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, they have kind of set the standard for starting your road to recovery with admitting what is happening. We would probably all know the famous AA opening line. It says, hello, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. Right? It's in every movie when they talk about AA. And it's a great way to start your road to recovery is to say, hello, my name is so-and-so, and I'm a blank. There's a part of Steve Brown's book, uh, Three Free Sins. In Three Free Sins, he recounts a story about sitting around a table, uh, a group of elders in a new church or new church leaders, and there had been a great turnover in the leadership. And so he sat around this table with a healthy dose of skepticism about what this would look like. And in their very first meeting, the person who was in charge started by saying, Hello, my name is so-and-so, and I'm a sinner. And here are the sins that I struggle with on a regular basis. And he laid out on the table all the things that he struggled with. He said, this is, these are the things that I'm going to want to keep hitting, but I'm not going to keep hitting. And then one by one, around the circle, all of the elders and the leaders, they went forward and they said, Hello, my name is so-and-so, and here's the things that I struggle with. Here's the things that I want to keep hidden, but I'm not going to keep hidden. Imagine that weight off your shoulders when you're finally able to admit that thing that you have been struggling with for years or admit that thing that happened in your past years and years ago that you've been trying to keep hidden. See, admitting your guilt, admitting it out loud, it takes that weight off your shoulders and it begins the healing process. It begins the road to recovery. And so that's the first step in dealing with our guilt, is simply admitting what we are guilty of, or admitting our guilt. And if it's to ourselves or to others, but we have to admit and own where we are and what it is we're keeping hidden. And Pastor Rick, he says the second thing to dealing with guilt is to confront your guilt. He says, confront it then. The second part of verse 5 says, and I did not cover up my iniquity. He says, I didn't cover it up anymore. He stopped trying to hide this thing. First, he admitted what it was to himself and then to God. And then he said, and I'm not going to cover it up anymore. I'm going to own it. I'm going to confront my guilt. See, if we don't confront our guilt, we'll never deal with it. And if we never deal with our guilt, then our guilt will consume us. Uh, earlier in Psalm 32, verse 3, David talks about what it was like when he was keeping it covered up. And he says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When he was just trying to keep this thing covered up, when he kept it silent, when he didn't admit it and didn't confront it, it literally says he's wasting away. In verse 4, he says, my strength was drained like in the summer heat. This is how much it was bearing on him that he was wasting away and his strength was drained simply by trying to keep this thing covered up. Simply by trying to keep this thing hidden. 
If you keep trying to cover it up, if you keep trying to hide it, you will never be able to heal from it. You'll never be able to, to move on from it. Guilt can literally make you sick. Uh, doctors actually say that guilt and the anxiety that is caused by guilt is one of those things that when you keep it buried away, it will actually cause cancer in your body. So guilt can lead to cancer. Guilt can quite literally kill you from the inside out. It will make you unable to eat. It can make you sick. It can make you unable to sleep. I'm sure each of us might recall a moment in our life where we tried to go to bed feeling guilty over something we had done maybe earlier in the day or something we had said and struggled to sleep as our mind just raced remembering this thing and replaying that event over and over and over saying, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I shouldn't have responded like that. Perhaps I could have responded better. And we just replay it over and over. So guilt must be confronted. Guilt must be dealt with. Otherwise, our guilt will begin to consume us from the inside out. So the first thing we have to do, we have to admit our guilt. And then the second thing is we have to stop covering it up. We have to get in there, get dirty, and confront it head on. We have to admit what it is and start to deal with it. And then the third thing that we have to do in this road to dealing with it is we have to confess it. See, David says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. That's the third part of verse 5 there. But how are admitting and confessing different, you might ask? You might say, how is admitting your guilt and confessing your guilt different? Well, see, Pastor Rick would say that admitting is admitting it to yourself and possibly a few others. You know, admitting this thing that you had done. No longer pretending that it isn't real. No longer pretending that it didn't happen. And confessing is when you go to God and tell him about it. When you go to God and you confess it over to him. When you maybe confess it to, to an elder or a deacon, another spiritual leader, when you go to, to, to take this weight off your shoulders and you want to throw it at God's feet. When you honestly admit the reality of your situation to God, to what has happened. See, we need to confess. We need to take our guilt and confess it over. We have to take it to God and lay it at his feet. And we have to be honest with him about how we have missed the mark or how we have fallen short. We need to stop pretending and making excuses for the thing and saying, well, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Or, you know what, uh, so-and-so was actually quite rude, so I was justified in, in speaking that way to them. We need to stop making excuses about it and openly and honestly admit where we have fallen short of his standard. See, guilt can only be dealt with when we are ready to confess the truth of what happened, when we are ready to confess it. And the best part of confessing or the best part of going to God and confessing it to him is that God has promised to forgive us. He's already promised that he will forgive us. He says that he has promised to take that burden off our shoulders to cover that sin for good. 1 John uh, chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we go and we confess that God is already ready to forgive, God already knows about it and he just simply wants to forgive. So we need to admit it to ourselves, we need to stop covering it up, and then we need to take it to God and we need to confess it to him. Because when we confess it to God, we can be sure that God is ready to forgive. We can be sure that the debt has already been paid for on the cross by Jesus. And so we have admitting confronting and confessing and that might seem like the last place to stop we've admitted it we've confronted it and now we've confessed it and that might seem like you know that's it we're good there but there's one more thing that we have to do to deal with our guilt and it says that we need to let go of our guilt we need to let it go we need to forget it and move on david says in the last part of verse five he says and you took away the guilt of my sin you took it away 
you took the guilt away. The message says it so much clearer and more eloquently. The message at the end of verse 5, it says, suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt was dissolved and my sin disappeared. Gone, disappeared, dissolved. It's like it was never there, David says. A few years ago, I was at a wedding for a, for a roommate of mine. Um, it was a beautiful wedding. The, both families had quite a lot of money, and so they pretty well spared no expense at the things that they were doing. They were married in a wonderful vineyard. It was really great. They had an extravagant wedding with all kinds of things, fireworks. Uh, I actually think they had a Big Mac bar for, for part of the thing after dinner. So they had all the bells and whistles, including an absolutely stunning ice sculpture of two swans. Now, this is not exactly what it is, but it looked an awful lot like that. This beautiful ice sculpture of two swans. It was gorgeous. It was so ornate and beautiful, except they got married outside in late June. That sculpture did not last all day. In fact, when they dropped it off, it was early morning when they dropped it off, and I'm fairly sure it did not even make it to the dinner reception. If I remember correctly, when I was sitting at dinner, the sculpture was no longer there. See, the sun had melted away the ice sculpture. It had all day, it had borne down upon that ice sculpture, and that sculpture had melted away. And that water that was left, that water was soaked into the grass and the dirt because it was the middle of the summer and it was so hot, the water just soaked it, or the grass just soaked up all that water. It was like nothing was there. We were left with this empty table and no evidence that there was this beautiful ice sculpture on it only hours before. It had disappeared. It had dissolved. It was gone. That's how it was like for David. That's how he says his sin and his guilt was. He said, you took it away. It was like it was gone, like it had dissolved. See, David, he admitted his sin. He confronted his sin. He confessed his sin. And then he let his sin go. Suddenly, God has taken away his guilt. When we admit it, we confront it, we confess it, we then need to let it go. We need to let it melt away. We need to move on. We need to leave that thing in the past exactly where it is. We need to leave it in the past. We don't need to keep staying up at night reliving that moment over and over and over in our heads because that just contributes to that guilt that we already feel. God doesn't hold that over our heads. When we go to God in prayer, he doesn't hold that sin and go, see, remember what you did 10 years ago? I still got it. He would never do that to us. And so why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we hold it over our own heads? We need to let it go. We need to leave it to die in the past where it belongs. There have been many times in my life where if I opened up my mailbox and I got a letter like the one that Noel Coward had sent out that said, I saw what you did, everyone knows what you did, and you should leave town. I think I would have been terrified, and I might have actually left town. There, Indeed, when I was younger, I was terrified that people would find out the real me, that they would find out about the double life that I was living. They would find out about all the sins that I had kept hidden in my past. And I also know that those times then those are the times that I was farthest from God. Because that guilt, the things that I was trying to keep hidden, I was too ashamed to even go to God with them. And it kept me from going to God. It kept this block in my relationship with Jesus. And it consumed me. That guilt just overwhelmed me and kept me away from him. I was embarrassed and ashamed to go to God. But see, the thing is that we have a God who forgives. We have a God who forgives. We have a God who wants to forgive us. 
Jesus died on a cross once and for all so that we could have this forgiveness, so that all could have that forgiveness. We don't have a religion that's based on works. We don't have one that says you have to give this many dollars a year. You have to light this many candles. Uh, you have to say this many prayers or offer this many sacrifices. You have to try exactly this hard. We don't have a religion that says that. We have a religion and a God that says, I forgive because I love you. We have a God who wants to forgive. He delights in showing mercy and grace to you and to I. There's no other God out there in any other religion that compares with our God. Micah 7, 18 says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives transgressions? There's no God like our God. There's no God that loves us like our God does, and there's no God that forgives us like our God does. Forgiveness and grace are a free gift from God. He offers it to all. Jesus already paid the full price for you and for I on the cross. All we have to do with that guilt is admit it, confront it, confess it, and then let it go. We need to let it go. God is satisfied with the price that Jesus paid on the cross. Jesus said the words, it is finished. He paid the full price for you and I. There's no outstanding balance due. Jesus paid it all already. So we need to take that forgiveness that God is offering, and we need to accept that forgiveness. We need to own it and let it wash over us. And when that guilt over that thing, when that guilt creeps up on us, and it threatens to consume you with feelings of shame and unworthiness, and it threatens to consume the inside of you, just remember that Jesus has already paid it all. There is no balance due on the account statement of your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Father, thank you for your forgiveness. Father, thank you that when we run away from you, Lord, you ran after us. God, thank you that our sin could not defeat that your love you have for us. Father, while we were your enemies, Jesus, you still died for us. Thank you for providing a salvation that comes freely from your love for each one of us. Jesus, thank you that you have paid it all for each of us. Father, help us to remember that. In Jesus' name.